My name is Justin Earhart, the Bearded Financial Pro and author of Go F Yourself, Five Fundamentals to a Better Life. And if you want to learn tips on how to define and live your best life, you should be listening to the More Than Corporate Podcast with my good friend, Amber Fearman. Welcome to the More Than Corporate Podcast, where we discuss finding fulfillment, defining success, and living your best life. There's no roadmap to success, no one-size-fits-all answer to fulfillment. I believe it requires us all to be vulnerable and authentic about what we want to accomplish and have the courage to step out of our comfort zone to chase our dreams. Keep listening to hear stories from inspiring people who make it their mission to live their best life every day. Justin, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. No, thank you for having me. I can't wait to help impact your listeners. I'm super excited. Um, We had an opportunity to chat a little bit before coming on, and I think that your message and the things that you do are greatly going to impact everybody. So what I'd like to do before we get into what you do now is just kind of talk about a little bit of where you, where you're from and where you grew up and what you thought your life was going to be when you were a kid. Yeah. So I grew up in Southern California outside of Los Angeles. I'm one of five kids and, you know, growing up in California and, you know, kind of the suburbs, my father was the sole bread income earner. My mom was, you know, the stay-at-home mom, taking kids to and from practices. There's four boys, one one girl, and the girl's the oldest. So we played a lot of sports. We grew up as a baseball family. And, you know, of course, growing up, I was always like, oh, I'm going to be a professional athlete. But that never panned out, not even close to it. But at some point in, in my early years, uh, I realized I wanted to be a first responder. And uh, uh, in particular, a firefighter. And I fell in love with firefighting. Uh, we had some uh, family friends who were firefighters. And um, I thought life was going to be pretty simple, you know, just grow up, get older, go become a firefighter. Uh, I thought firefighters made a lot of money, you know, and that's something I learned pretty quickly. They don't. But uh, when I was 16, all that kind of changed. My uh, older sister was in the Air Force and her, uh, at the time, boyfriend was Air Force as well, and my dad was a previous Marine, so I'm like, oh, I should probably go in the military, uh, but once my father, he, he died when I was 16, and my mom was now a uh, single mom. She, you know, woke up a uh, married woman, went to bed a widow type conversation, and it was very hard, very challenging for her that she was, you know, like I said, I used to say just to stay at home mom, but I've, I've no longer said just because she's like, <laughs> you have no idea, and now that I have my daughter uh, full-time through this uh, whole coronavirus epidemic yeah I cannot do four of that that's but insane yeah like, she had, it, it's that's an, it is and it was it was very hard for her she had no income um, they only had about fifty thousand dollars life insurance through his job and that's about it and they had saved you know close to fifty thousand dollars or so uh, from what I remember talking to my mom um, you know a couple years ago now but my whole life changed at that moment uh, I was now the oldest son. My sister, like I said, was off in the military and she was gone. Um, it was up to me to kind of be the father example for these kids. And I was thrown very quickly into that. Um, and it was a, it was a very humbling experience to say the least. I started working during the summer doing air conditioning. That's what my dad and I, we had done. And all of my brothers pretty much have done it. He had his own little company as well as working for a major um, commercial company. And he had made a deal with them saying, Hey, in in the summer, I would like for my oldest son to come work with us as a job because he's going to be able to. And they're like, yeah, one of the good things um, um, after he passed away, the company still honored that he passed away in April of um, 2004. I believe it's, you know, it's been so long. It just kind of runs together, but um, they, they came with me and they said in the summer, like, Hey, we promised your dad that you can come work with us. We still want to honor that. 
And as a 16 year old, I started making $10 an hour, started making, bringing in money. And that's when I had a first realization of what taxes were, you know? So I went to my mom and was like, Hey, I've been working for two weeks. I've got all this overtime. I've calculated. I should be bringing into the house about $2,000 for two weeks. And I'm like, I've never made that before as a kid. And I, this is back in the day when we had paper checks, we didn't have direct deposit. Uh So I go to my mom and I'm like, Hey, got the check. I'm ready to open it up. And that's when like, I I saw how much I had made. I was right on how much I should have had. But then I started seeing, you know, state uh, tax, federal tax, FICA, uh, Medicare. I'm like, what is this? Why why are they taking my money? And that's where I started understanding that us as the normal class people don't understand anything about money and we're not taught anything about money. Um, But, you know, after that point, I started realizing that I wanted to go in the military and, and uh, be able to get the hell out of the house because two years of uh, being in the house at that aspect, I was like, you know, I'm kind of done with this. Uh, <laughs> and plus it's one less mouth to feed. Um, all, all my brothers were all six feet plus 200 plus pounds. So Big my mom family. was buying, yeah, my mom was buying 14 gallons of milk a week just to get all of us, you know, milk. Um, and that's insane. Uh, yeah, that know, is nuts. But uh, one in the military, did seven years in the Air Force, deployed two times um, to South Iraq, and did uh, area security operations where we were uh, looking for IEDs on the road um, in a little fob called Camp Buka. And, you know, I learned a lot from I was uh, one of the youngest team leaders. I was leading a fire team. And, uh, you know, it, it was a different experience from Southern California to. South Iraq. Um, but after I got out of the military, I went into fire service. I still pursued that as uh, that, uh, that goal I had as a kid and became a firefighter EMT. Uh, I loved it. Yeah, but the only problem was that I had uh, physical injuries from the military um, with my back specifically. And in the fire academy, when I um, got to Georgia, I moved to Georgia from Utah where I was certified. You had to go through their specific academy to get their uh, standard operating procedures and everything. And in that academy, I uh, couldn't walk. One day I woke up because my back was so um, jacked up that I realized that I had to make um, a decision to do something different. And again, that's where my programming as a child, uh, you know, 16 as a, don't tell my 16 year old self a child, but um, (laughs) when I was a teenager, I I fell back to, hey, you know, there's still people who are like my family, who my mom struggled maintaining two or three jobs just to keep, food on the table, working Christmases uh, at the airport, loading FedEx boxes uh, in, in and out of trucks and all these other amazing things. Um, so I wanted to get into an industry where I knew people needed help as well. And that's how I started the financial services industry that I'm in now, um, built my own company and been able to train other agents in, uh, in a couple different states. And um you know, and especially in times like these where people are, they've lost over 30% in their accounts these days. These are people who've been saving for 30, 40 years, and now they can't retire. I predominantly focus on first responders, military, um, nurses, educators, all the people who, you know, essentially are working their ass off for our community, but aren't taken care of anymore. So, and that's how I ended up in this position now. I love it. There's so much to unpack there. First of all, what branch of the military were you in? Air Force. Love it. 
so there's a couple things. I mean, we all go through, I don't even think I realized what taxes were even after I started working at 16. Like, I don't think I had the forethought to even take a look at what was being taken out of my, out of, I just knew, yeah. I don't think I really started to pay attention to taxes until I started owing them as a business owner. Because yeah. before that, it was just like, here's the savings account that the government has that like, you know, I just knew that I got a refund every year because I was in school yep. and a student and that's all that we care about, right? And so the idea that you were aware of that at 16 is super impressive to me. But that just also goes to show your point about us not being told or taught about finances enough in school and getting into this position where I think the majority, I don't know the stats, maybe you do, um, the, but the majority of American households are not prepared for an accident or a death or to move on without their yeah. breadwinner. There's actually a statistic came out last year that said 70% of families uh, live close to paycheck to paycheck. And there's one that came out right now that 44% of families can't even afford a uh, $400 emergency. And that's what we're experiencing right now is that there's so many families now out of, out of work. And that's one of the big things when it comes down to the economic impact that we're just starting to see the tip of the iceberg, what could happen, you know, and there's uh, a lot of different things that will happen with unemployment numbers and a shoot up uh, coming up this at the end of this quarter, um, especially, uh, especially this month where people are losing their jobs and they have no, you know, nothing to fall back on. And every family is one, one situation away from becoming broke. And that's what is very troubling. And now people are really starting to realize what I've been preaching for the last couple of years is that your job is not safe. Uh, most jobs are not safe. And you have to be financially prepared if your job one day does say, hey, don't come in. Uh, we're all closed right now. And that's literally happening in, in jobs that I've talked to people and talked to like servers and educators before. And they're like, no, we'll, we'll always have a job. Servers are fine. I don't need to be prepared for it. I can always go in every night and make money. Well, not now you can't. Um, yeah. Some states are locked down completely. Like California is completely locked down. You know, I know you yeah. said hopefully Nevada is not next, but it all seems to kind of trickle from California is the leading state of all the crap that seems to happen, um, especially the coronavirus. And honestly, Georgia's coming up next because now they're talking about putting a two-week quarantine on. Uh, for people and activating the guard coming up. So if people can't work for two weeks, how are they supposed to pay the bills? And they always say like, well, they can suspend everything. Well, suspending does not mean you don't have to pay. That means all they're doing is taking that payment and they're pushing it down a little bit more. And that's one of the huge misconceptions that people are having right now. It's like, oh, well, they're going to suspend mortgage payments. No, they're just not going to make you pay this month, but that payment still has to be made. Well, and, uh, and are they suspending your interest rates is the other question, you know, or are you just racking up interest totally rates on this suspended? Yeah. So for those of you who are listening to this, um, you know, on a, on a replay or down the road, we're obviously in the middle of this coronavirus um, pandemic where everybody's starting to get locked down and businesses are closed. And this is one of the reasons that I wanted to bring Justin on now and kind of push this episode through is because what we are going to be experiencing as a society um, throughout the country is so important in how we have our finances set up. And I know we haven't really dug into what you do yet. I think we can talk about that kind of simultaneously, but 
Actually, no, why don't you go ahead and do that? Why don't you tell everybody a little bit about what your business is now and what services you have to offer individuals, whether they're, I mean, just not even related to the coronavirus, just in general with your business. Yeah, so the services I've been providing this entire time have been focused in six different areas. Um, one of the big challenges that people have when it comes down to getting financial strategies done is that they have to go to multiple people for multiple things. They have to go to an insurance agent for insurance. They have to go to a retirement advisor for retirement. They have to go to an attorney for estate preservation, whatever the case may be. Um, I'm a one-stop shop financial services company, so I can help people when it comes down to budgeting, uh, showing them how to get out of debt in half, two-thirds of the time faster by paying it smarter, helping them establish emergency funds, life insurance, my um, broker. So I work for uh, 170 different companies that I can actually broker for our clients to find the best fit. And I focus on education instead of selling. Uh, I believe that you should be educated on what the hell you're purchasing um, instead of just, you know, getting on a phone with Jayco State or, you know, that one company, won't name <laughs> me. you know, getting on the phone and being sold a product. You're like, I have no idea what I have. Um, then I help with retirement and estate planning and preservation as well with wills, trusts and all that. We have an entire team of advisors that will look at people's cases as needed and we dive in and we find the best fits and best solutions for them to be able to do that. And again, you know, I predominantly focus on uh, first responders, teachers and all those people, but I am open to helping everyone who does come, you know, asking for it. I don't charge a fee or charge anybody to um, get help the way I get paid is through if I help someone with life insurance, the well, life insurance company pays me. So, and that's what typically happens in the industry anyways, just most advisors or insurance people are planners will charge you a fee to sit down with you just to create a budget, which is stupid. I have other financial advisors that are friends of mine and nothing against them, but one of them charges over $500 just to do a debt reduction plan. And I, I don't see a point in that. What family who you know, is trying to get out of debt will typically have $500 just sitting around to put some numbers in a spreadsheet. So uh, we do everything for free to the community. We, again, we focus on education. One of my advisors, he's partnered up with Heartland Financial um, which is more of the nonprofit, the financial education side. So we do a lot of financial education literacy, especially right now with technology. We're doing webinars all the time and, and truly trying to help people, um, you know, get in a better financial position now. So that way the market does recover in the next, you know, couple months, couple years, however long it takes. They're in a better financial standing, better financial foothold. I love it. I love it. So you have some resources that you're working with people now through your Facebook page, right? With webinars and things like yes. that. Is that right? Yeah. What are you doing with those? So basically it's a, a webinar system that people can register for. There's three of them a day that they can hop on. So morning, afternoon, and evening that they can learn. It's only about 20 minutes uh, for the financial fundamentals class where it goes over and teaches them basic fundamentals such as taxes, such as different accounts to put your money in as far as what they grow with, with fixed accounts, variable or indexed accounts, understanding more concepts of how interest works and what's called the rule of 72 of compound interest. Just teaching them those fundamentals that if they were to understand them, I mean, if I knew this shit when I was 20 years old, my life would be completely different and would not have taken me this long to get where I am financially. But it doesn't matter if they're 50, 60, 70 years old, all the way down to, uh, I've, I've done middle school classes where I've taught middle schoolers how to start understanding concepts of money. So it's like, you can't play a game. Like I, I like rock, watching rugby. I don't understand the rules of rugby. So if I were to try and play it, I would probably screw things up left and right. I would probably be broken and my body wouldn't hurt, but I'd more likely have penalties. Same thing with money. If you don't understand the rules of money and how it works, you'll never have success in it. It's the biggest reason why I think most of the government doesn't want financial literacy in schools is because the more dumb we are when it comes down to money, 
the, the more they can control us with our money like they are now. Most people right now, due to this pandemic, have to rely on the government to suddenly hand us out stimulus checks just to survive. I don't like relying on the government for anything. So I believe that if we have a well-educated population, we have a less government-dependent uh, population when it comes to our money. And that's how it should be. I love it. So you go into schools, you talk to school-age kids about... Um, money, you talk to people through your webinar about just educating them around money. So you obviously have a large community involvement in this area. What would you say is the number one or two things that you see that pops up in every situation as far as education is concerned that you wish everybody knew? Well, the number one thing is impact of taxes. Um, you know, like I said, when I was 16 years old, I realized taxes are crap and it sucks. But what we're seeing now is that there's laws that are coming out in 2026, for instance, families will be impacted at such a drastic rate when it comes down to their 401ks and social security. Um, some people can end up paying 85% in taxes in retirement, 85, um, because, but they don't know that. So the number one thing that I talk to people about is that they don't understand how the impact of taxes are going to play a major role in their retirement. The other thing is how to protect your money from market losses. And those are the two things that go pretty well hand in hand. Most people have their money tied up in a 401k, 403, uh, 403b, 457, anywhere that starts with a four or, or IRAs, money markets, these variable accounts, most people have their money strictly involved in that. Now they're realizing like, okay, well, I saved for 20 years, for instance, on one of my clients who I just started working with this week. And he's like, Justin, I only have a hundred grand saved after saving for 20 years. And it was a huge concern for him, obviously, of like, man, what, like, what's going on? I, I know I needed to save more, but I'm, he's watching his money bleed out uh, throughout the last couple of weeks. He's lost now over $15,000. So when you break the numbers down for it, let's just say it's 5,000 a year for 20 years, it's a hundred grand. And he, in just two weeks, has watched three years of savings and growth just disappear um, in a couple weeks. So most families don't know how to protect their money from the downfall. How do I protect my money to not lose anything? Another client who I worked with literally 11 months ago moved 70% of her retirement over. And it wasn't a huge amount. It's $110,000, $120,000. She's 67. But the market, with it tanking, she's lost 0%. She hasn't lost a single penny. In fact, her money's still growing. Why do we not know about those types of places and type of accounts? She called me up. So like, Justin, is my account okay? And I'm like, yeah, you haven't lost anything. Like, you're good. That 30% she had still that she wanted to like save and invest and play with in stocks. She's lost the majority of that, but she's grateful with, with the 70% that I was able to protect that she still has now $126,000 um, in just a year. It went up, you know, uh, yeah, about $16,000 because she got 10,000 signing bonus. Anyways, um, she had gained 16,000 in the last year uh, for her income basis and now it hasn't gone anywhere and it's staying there. So what other 67 year old, you know, can afford to lose money in retirement? No one can, they can't, they don't have time to recover. That's one thing you see with all these Facebook professionals all of a sudden with people who, you know, know law through Facebook law, uh, Facebook finance <laughs> class, apparently like, oh, it's okay. The market will rebound. Yeah. For younger people can rebound, but what if you could eliminate losses and still grow and not lose anything? I don't know. That sounds like a pretty good idea. You know, you're in Vegas, Imagine you walk into the MGM and you put your money on the table. And if you lost, they gave you your money back. But if you won, they gave you the winnings too. I don't know. That would be a pretty good table. Terrible yeah, for the seems, house. Yeah, terrible for the house. It seems like a good, a good investment option though. 
Um, and this is just the advantage of no matter what you're doing, whether it's finance related or business related or whatever you're doing, this is where having somebody who does this for a living that can be involved instead of trying to figure it out on your own comes into play. Like yeah. you're taking, whether you're doing it with, you know, your business, your relationships, your um, money, like whatever you're doing, you're taking huge risks and have a huge learning curve if you don't get somebody involved who knows what they're doing. Yeah. And I think so. a lot of people are just afraid to ask for help, especially with money. Our society has made money such a taboo subject. It's something you don't want to ask or talk about. If you know, I had a friend who I'm like, Hey, how much money do you make? You're like, wow. Oh my God. Why do you want to know? Yeah. I don't know. You know, and people in the workplace, they, they make it that way too. Like your workplace doesn't want you talking about how much money each of you makes because if they know that, Hey, we do pretty much the same job, but you're making 10 grand more a year than I am. That's now a bargaining chip to go into and say, Hey, if you're willing to pay Steve over here, the same amount of money for the same job, I can go in there and ask for a bigger raise. Yeah, but that's why workplaces don't want you to talk about it. And we don't want to talk about money as a society because we think it's just so bad. Or uh, one of the biggest things that we're told is, um, and again, it kind of goes into my book where I talk about the negative impacts that we have as a society about money. And if it's like, hey, we're always told them that money is the root of all evil. It's like, no, it's not. The worship of money is the root of all evil and, and lusting after money. But money is a magnifier. It's going to magnify the type of person you are. And the biggest reason why over 60% of lottery winners go broke within five years is because financial education and literacy. A lot of people be like, well, if I have $5,000 more a month, Justin, I can manage my money better. No, you can't. You can't. If you can't manage it at $3,000 a month, you won't be able to manage it at $8,000 a month. You're going to have the same shitty spending habits that you have, because, and now even worse, because you're able to blow it. So it's all you know, it's so interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it's so interesting that you say that because I can think back to, um, I remember my mom saying the same thing to me. If you can't live on $1,500, like I was in yeah. school, obviously, but she's like, if you can't live on $1,500 a month, you're not going to be able to live on $10,000 a month. Like if you mm -hmm. can't manage it. And then you look back at, you know, there was a point in time where I was making six figures and not managing my money well. And then I looked back at when I was making like $20,000 a year yeah. and surviving. And if I had learned how to actually live on $20,000 a year so that when I was making six figures, I could actually invest that, yeah. you know, that's what's missing. And I want to talk just a minute about the psychological impact of a huge point that you brought up, which is that we are taught that money is a bad thing and we're not supposed to talk about it. And right. when we believe something's taboo or we're not supposed to talk about it, like our mind starts thinking man, why is this a bad thing? Maybe I shouldn't have it. And then you like aren't able to welcome money into your life. And Correct. so to anybody who actually believes in energy work and the way the mind works and things to that effect, feeling like you have to hide talking about money is going to make you lose so much of it. It's going to make money hide from you. If you're Absolutely. not willing to have positive thoughts or affirmations towards it, it's never going to come to you. And in every chapter of my book, it all starts off with mindset. It doesn't matter if it's faith, family, fitness, finances, or fun or whatever. Every chapter starts off with mindset because if I'm going to go into having money as a negative mindset, money will never come to you. And honestly, I've never met a rich negative mindset person. It just doesn't, doesn't exist. Just like I've never met someone with a negative mindset who's happy and fulfilled, you know, because they see the negative in everything. And yeah. so if you're constantly thinking the bad things about money, like, oh, money's a terrible thing, 
you're subconsciously attracting not having money because you don't want to be seen as a terrible thing or a terrible person. Yeah. So you have to start And the, the biggest thing people have to start off with is, you know, we have 60,000 thoughts, you know, estimated every day and 95 to 97% of those thoughts are subconscious repeated thoughts. And most of our thoughts that we have now are from programming that we've had growing up from um, parents, friends, teachers, and society. So if we're constantly thinking just subconsciously, you know, over 45,000 thoughts or so that are just automatically programmed in our head, we have to start tweaking and changing the programming before you can even have money because it's not just going to come to you. You're not going to be a very good money magnet or money saver if you were constantly telling yourself, well, I'm just not good with money. I spend it all the time. I can't save anything. Well, yeah. why are you shocked 10 years from now when you haven't saved anything? You're terrible with money because you tell yourself you're terrible with money. And I used to never believe in the, you know, being more, you know, affirmation driven or visualization. I used to think that crap was like foo foo fluffy crap <laughs> uh, until one day when I was just like, I was homeless. You know, I, I, after I got out of the fire service and between that and uh, starting the financial services business, I was homeless. You know, I noticed hey, all these people keep saying that you got to change your thought process, but I'm always just sleeping in my freaking car, freezing my ass off because it was a winter, and always saying, oh, I'll never be successful, I'll never have success, and I'm just going to keep being homeless. Well, why was I shocked after weeks of doing this, I was still homeless. So once I started changing my thought process, you start noticing a lot more things when you think positive. So if you're like, hey, I'm going to start thinking more positive about money. Money comes in my life. Like one of the things I say all the time, every day is money comes to me freely and easily from multiple sources and increasing quantities on a continuous basis. And I not only say it, I believe it. And because I say it and believe it, my reticular activating system, which is basically a, a filter in your brain, will start identifying things around you that can help make money and bring it into your life. You know, it's just like when you buy a new car, like I just bought a new car a couple months ago. I've never seen this car on the road, but as soon as I freaking buy it, it's everywhere. And that's yeah. what the RAS is doing. It's filtering out unnecessary information out of your brain. Like, so that's why you don't hear your blood flowing in and out of your head all day because your, your RAS is determined. This is not a necessary function in order for me to survive. So the other thing we have to focus on doing is changing how we attract money, how we attract fitness, how we attract all these other things. And you'll start seeing it everywhere if you if you really do that. Yeah, I love that. And it's so true. Um, and I know that the car example is the best one to use because everybody knows it. Like you, you go shopping and you're like, I'm so excited to get this car because I haven't seen it everywhere, anywhere. And then it's everywhere after that. And you talked a little bit about programming before and the way that our reticular activating system learns what to let us remember and see is by our programming. And so it yeah. all kind of comes into play. So you have this book, um, Go F Yourself, The Five Fundamentals to Building a Better Life. Um, what was your driving force behind wanting to write this book? My shingles. Uh, so I was in the hospital with shingles in December. And like literally like one of the worst cases they seen in Atlanta VA that they actually like studied me with infectious diseases. It was the worst pain I've ever been in. It was, and it was something I always wanted to do. I started kind of messing with writing a book, you know, probably two years ago. And, but once I was in the hospital with not a damn thing left to do, but me and myself, and I really started like having 
a coming to Jesus moment because I, I didn't have my cell phone. I didn't have technology. And honestly, it was one of the best experiences of my life. Um, but I was like, like, I was like, I have got to write this freaking book. And um, so I, I did it. And my, my main driving force was I wanted to tell people and show them there's five fundamentals that you really need to learn to master in order for you to have a better life. And success is different to every person. For me, I don't have to ever work again. I have enough passive income every single month that I don't have to do anything. That's fine to me. Uh, that, that could be considered success. Like, hey, I've made it. I'm now, I'm 31 and able to retire. Uh, most people can't even hit the set in 67 years old. So I wanted to put this book out there to show people like, hey, here's where I was. Here's the fundamental I mastered and here's where I am now. Because I think too many of these stupid ass self-help gurus that are blasting shit all over like Instagram for paid advertisements where they're always like on a plane or they're in some foreign country with a beach and they're always like, you could work from home from your computer and you can travel <laughs> the world from your laptop. And, and especially now that tax refund time is, is happening, all of a sudden you're going to see those stupid ass advertisements like, or they're counting money. Like you too could earn money. Like this is just one of my weekly checks. And, like, <laughs> none of that stuff works. It's, it only benefits the person that's like recruiting you into the video or into their, their little thing. Right. So I wanted to show people like, how do I get from rock bottom? Because I've been divorced two times, alcoholic. I have a suicide attempt. You know, I lost custody of not being able to see my daughter because of the divorce. Um, all these massive problems. But what, what, what's crazy is most people have a, a screwed up life. They have tons of problems, tons of adversities and challenges, but they they dug a hole in their life, but none of these gurus are saying, Hey, here's how to get out of your hole. So you can at least start living a better life and become a better version of yourself. So what I wanted to do was just take these basic, simple fundamentals. The pages of this book are filled with so much knowledge. And if people were to like take and apply it, like most people have, I've sold over 110 copies. It isn't a huge amount. I'm not going to be a freaking New York Times bestseller. That was never my, my purpose for it. I'd rather have books in the hands of people who apply it. And actually, like I would rather have 110 success stories versus 100,000 sold and 12 people read it. You know, like that's not what I want. So I've had people who have started implementing these changes and it starts off with, like I said, with your mindset. If you start changing your mind, you start changing your thoughts and your feelings, your whole life will change instantly. So give them these basic tools that'll help get them out of a shitty situation versus trying to get the Lamborghini, the, the million dollar mansions and stuff. Like, well, I'm sure some people like that. That's not always going to bring you fulfillment at all. So I want people to have a more fulfilled and impactful life. And that's what really drove me uh, to start writing this book and to get it uh, published and, and out there. That's so awesome, man. And you know, it's interesting that you talk about kind of the self-help gurus that are out there and the, um, you know, work from home people, because I mean, I disagree with you a little bit on the fact that it doesn't work. But what I do think is not made clear is that it doesn't work the way that they advertise it working. So like it can work, yeah. but it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be some, like, it's a real job. The people who have gotten there, number one, if that Lamborghini that they're taking the picture with is actually theirs and not something that they're test driving and they're going to return to the lot, um, they yeah. worked their ass off to get to that. And um, yeah. so this idea that you're going to sit at home and type a few keystrokes and never talk to a person and not have to market and, get yeah. rich is ridiculous. And so I definitely agree with you on that, that that doesn't work. 
And that's a lot of what we've talked about too with um, this podcast is there's so many places out there that you can hear how amazing, you know, million and million dollar entrepreneurs are. What people don't talk about always is that struggle. Like you just talked about mm -hmm. with having, you know, homelessness and, and suicidal thoughts and, and being in the hospital and all of these things that make you stronger and make you um, appreciate what's important to you and help you define what success is. Nobody talks about that, like getting it in this high level entrepreneur spot. So yeah. as far as your book is concerned, what of your fundamentals, I mean, I know they're all important, but if you could only tell people one fundamental, what would it be? Family. So the five fundamentals I talk about are faith, uh, fitness, finances, family, and fun. And my biggest saying in family and fun cannot, like all these can intertwine into themselves. But if I could only have one fundamental, it would be family, 100%. Because if, if I didn't have my daughter, or I didn't have like my mom and my brothers and people in my life, like what, for me personally, like what would be the purpose? I don't know. Purpose, like my purpose is making a bunch of money. Cool. Not mine. Other people like, oh, I want to be a fitness guru. Cool. Great. I mean, uh, but, um, but I believe family is one of the most important fundamentals because you always need to have someone that you can fall back on. So I, I talk about the different scenarios I have with, you know, uh, siblings, with parents, the scenarios I've had with them, um, how to build that up and how to go back at it. And I'm pretty transparent in my book. Uh, one of my siblings at the time, I wasn't even talking to another one. I just barely started talking to, but now we've had a very strong connection because we've built that back up. And then also, you know, I talk about spouses and children and stuff like that, whether it's someone you're um, dating for a, period, a certain period of time, you're married to, whatever. Those are all very important parts of my life. And that's, if I could only have one fundamental, it would be the family one. How to keep improving that. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of households with marriages and, and, and families, I mean, the divorce rate in the country is close to 50% right now. And that's alarming. Uh, I don't know why that's not a pandemic where people are talking about like, hey, maybe we should really look at the the mental side of why people are having such relationship issues with their spouses and their kids. Uh, why are kids now growing up with a higher suicide rate in the last 10 years than any other decade before that? And these are all very alarming concerns that people should be focused on. So I think, again, a lot of the issues with teenagers coming up coincides with social media use and comparison and, and having this disease of, and what a lot of adults are having challenges with of comparing their life to social media or to other families. If you're so ed educated with and focused on how your family operates and what you guys can actually do as a unit, you don't need to compare anything else because you know that you've got such a good family and a good unit that you can stay focused on and grow with. It's definitely not lost on me with those stats that it coincide, coincides with the rise of social media time because social media now is becoming a little bit more authentic but especially when it first started it was everybody's happy place like let me post everything that's yeah. good with my life and i'm gonna leave off all the bad shit. and yeah. then somebody else sees this and they're like well what the hell is wrong with me because their life is perfect and now you have like this depression and then also going into just feeling like you have to be in a particular place at a particular time in your life and you're not there. Yeah. And it feels like everybody around you is there and it increases this anxiety. I love the fundamentals of your book because um, I don't know if you're familiar with the life wheel at all, 
but the life wheel has um, a bunch of different areas of your life that you want to try to make well-rounded. And I feel like the five fundamentals that you talked about are so much of what's important in life. Like everybody needs all of those fundamentals. Yeah. You get to decide how much of each of those fundamentals is necessary to make up your perfect life. And so yeah. I, I think it's amazing. I think it's amazing. Yeah, and it, it, it really is. I mean, each one of those, again, people at different levels of life will have different impacts in each of those categories. You know, if you're a single person or no family besides, you know, maybe your mom and your dad that you're close with, the family fundamental may not be your most important one. It may be fitness or maybe, you know, let me improve my finances. And that's one of the great things the book does. It doesn't say you have to be a 30 year old male for this to apply. It can apply to anyone. And next, the next book that I'm working on is teaching fundamentals specifically to teenage kids. What they can do now to start mastering their social and emotional learning to be able to come into adulthood. I think there's too much emphasis, and this is not just me. There's also been other conversations through um, multiple shows that I watch and podcasts I've listened to where um, there's too much emphasis that teenagers have to have shit figured out by the time they graduate high school and graduate college that they have to have their career picked out, they have to have their degree picked out. Um, there's been um, lots of stuff like Dr. Uh, um, Amen has just come out with a book called The End of Mental Illness, which is uh, one of the books I'm reading currently, where he talks about the whole brain health. It's not really a mental illness, it's really just an unhealthy brain. And you know, people aren't brought down because they have heart disease or diabetes, um, but they're looked down if they have ADHD or schizophrenia or depression or anxiety and all these other things. The brain's an organ. So if we're constantly shoving all this bombardment to young teenagers while their brain is developing and what they should do, a lot of social media use, lack of exercise, it's causing these kids to get into completely unhappy and unhealthy work positions and relationships at such a young age. So if we start teaching these kids young how to have mental toughness, resiliency, and how to you know, pursue what they want and find what they want, most people in don't know what they want to do until they're about mid twenties. Um, you know, they may have an idea of what they want to do, but their true passion and calling doesn't typically happen until mid twenties. Um, according to a lot of the, the researchers out there and the statistics with them. And so we've got to teach these younger kids the shit that we didn't know growing up, you know, and we're the, we're the generation. We didn't have social media when we were in high school. You know, the first thing I had was MySpace, and I was like, 17 years old myspace yeah i know man he used to make you know top five friends you would know someone yes. broke up because their girlfriend or boyfriend is no longer top <laughs> um you know the music you could code into your thing right like that was my first into social media but now like kids are inundated of like this is how life is and again the comparing aspect yes it's gotten real depending who you follow like i follow very yes. real people and, you know, again, the work, like I do most of my work from home, work from home can absolutely work, like you said, but it's the lifestyle people of like, take your laptop or you're in the Caribbean and you can make 20 grand this week. And you're like, what? Like for doing what? Oh, sign up for this course and I'll tell you how I did it. It's $997, right? Uh, and nine times out of 10, what they're saying for that $997 is focus on your faith, your family, your finances, yeah, all your, you know, like yeah. all of that crap. So the stuff we already know, and that's, that's one of the things that I really like about what you're talking about is there's, we all know those things are important. What are the things that I can do 
to get myself from point A to point B, wherever I'm at in my life. And those are the books that are really helpful is like the action yeah. steps books. And that's what I love about what you're doing. Um, I also can't say enough good things about getting into schools and talking to kids about emotional intelligence because, you know, we're in a spot right now where everybody kind of feels like they have to hide what they're feeling and, you know, yeah. talking about emotions is bad. And so it's really cool to be able to get in and talk to those kids and tell them like, Hey, it's okay. And they're at a point in their life right now where they're probably not going to listen to you anyways, but that seed that you're planting is something that could yeah. help them down the road. And that's all we can do is plant seeds so that when they come out of this period where nobody else knows what they're talking about and they actually start remembering what was said to them, yeah. they can draw on that. It's funny so, you said that because someone asked me, like, why are you going to talk to middle schoolers when they're not going to pay attention? I was like, you know what? I'm going to talk to 120 kids total in four different workshops today. I'm going to at least impact five to 10 of those kids. I know not all 120 of them are going to like suddenly like leave and go home and be like, oh, and have an <laughs> epiphany. But I gave them, even for the kids, simple action steps that I know at least five to 10 of them will look back in their life. When someone one day asks them, let's say they're on, they're on your, your podcast and they're like, hey, uh, you know, what made you to the person you are? And they say, yeah, there's this bearded financial guy who came to my, my, my class one day and uh, he one time told me to do these three things and I did them and I attribute my success to him. Like, that's what I know that I'm planting, even though I will never know it, more than likely won't know it. There's going to be kids that I'm able to impact now. And the way I compare it is like, uh, you know, growing up in California, our, our uh, national um, flower was the wildfire, right? Like we had wildfires all damn time. All it takes is a simple spark, a simple cigarette butt, a simple lightning strike that just spark it. And then that can turn into a, a, a million plus acre blaze. Just the same way with helping these kids. Now, if I impact 10 people a week, they're going to go and impact 10 to 100 people in their lifetime every single year as they continue to get older and grow. So just by doing that, that one spark can lead to millions of people helped and, and helping change lives. And like you said, people don't want to talk about it. They don't want to do it. They don't want to get out there and have these conversations or tell people like, hey, I'm having issues. That's why in, in military and first responders, there's more suicides than there are combat related deaths or in the line of duty deaths. And yeah. it's because the taboo in the military, especially when I was in, it was, look, you're expected to have these bad things happen and getting shot at or IEDs going off. It's what it, what's expected. It's your job. If you talk about it, we disarm you, and, and it's like a whole negative process. After my suicide attempt, it was a completely disastrous thing for my career, apparently. Uh, I, got a, I got my promotion withheld. I was disarmed. I was looked at bad, and it made you not want to ever get help. But now it's changing, thank God, and it's a, a very, very long process that's ahead of us that we're changing this whole we don't want to talk or you shouldn't talk to, hey, Let's have real and honest conversations with, with our emotions. And that's what, you know, in the book, I'm telling people, they need to be very open and transparent, not with anybody else, but with themselves. Yeah. Uh, hey, I have these issues and I need to identify them and fix them. Yeah. And that's such an important distinction because there's a difference between authenticity being going out and telling everybody all of your deepest secrets. Like you don't have to do that. Correct but you do gotta be real with yourself. Um, yes. And you have to be willing to tell those deepest, darkest secrets to the person that's close enough to you that can tell you when you're bullshitting yourself. 
because you can't yeah. always, well, most of the time you can't see it. We're the easiest person to lie to. So yeah. you got to have people in your life that you trust, but being authentic and vulnerable doesn't always mean, you know, going out and blasting this on the world. It yeah. might, if you're doing a podcast or doing a book, or if that's what you choose to do. But if you don't take those routes, you can still be authentic and real by just making sure that you're true to yourself, to yourself. Um, exactly. I also wanted to talk about what you said about the military, because I was on a conversation with somebody who was in the pharmaceutical field a while back, and we were talking about the correlations between pharmaceutical and law, and I'm going to put the military yep. in this, because they train the human out of you. And that's the best way that I've ever heard it described. It's like, no matter, like, you have a job to do in the military, yep. your job, like, emotions in the military can get you killed. And yeah. So they train those emotions out of you because they need you to be able to focus. What happens is when you get to a point where you now need those back, you can't yep. get them back. They've been trained out of you. So yeah. it goes through something like what you've been through and then figuring out that this is the way life's supposed to work. And I don't know what the right answer is, but there has to be a better way to help people understand and control their emotions without making them feel like they have to become robots. Yeah, and that's one thing that they always said is that if we wanted you to have emotions, you would have issued them to you in basic training. Uh, but I was like, oh, I guess that's, that's a point. <laughs> um, but yeah, and that's one thing I've seen, you know, because I, I, I follow very closely to Air Force and their leadership. And that's one thing, um, you know, I've had probably seven or eight friends commit suicide that you know, I, I've known over the years and three of them just in the last year alone, uh, last in 2019, they were the people that you would never expect it. And so there's gotta be, you know, these are the ones that would always go out and help other people, uh, going through their darkest times. They would be down in the trenches with them. And I don't, like I said, I don't know the answer. I don't, I, I know there's a, a, there is one somewhere. There may be a couple answers that we can do to solve this, but that, and that's one thing I don't like. I don't like unknown as far. Well, I, I don't mind unknown as far as like, oh, I'm going to go challenge, but I don't like not having an answer that could help save lives. Right. And, Especially to something as important as this. Yeah. And that's why I think the book I'm reading now at the end of mental, mental illness, a lot of, a lot of these, you know, they do what's called spec scans where they can basically see how the blood flow is going in the brain. And they're seeing a lot in like uh, soldiers with traumatic brain injuries they have lack of blood flow going to certain, you know, the, like the, the prefrontal cortex where they're able to have rational decision-making. If a lot of them are having problems making rational decisions, maybe if we start figuring out how to help them with having better brain health and identifying these problems, we can start focusing on the brain because obviously there's a lot of issues going on in, in dealing with all these traumas and whether it be traumatic or it be through experiences, there's brain health is a massive problem for people. And mm -hmm. So that's why I fully support the, this book and what they're talking about, because I don't know what my brain was like five years ago, but I can tell it's been completely changed and transformed because of what I've been doing with my life has changed and transformed, you know? So if we find a way that we can start looking at brain health and start seeing what the, you know, if they have a mental health issue such as depression and PTSD, it's just like a normal organ. If I have a problem with my heart and it's fluttering, or if I have it skipping arrhythmia, I will figure out through medication or procedures how to fix my damn heart. But the brain, it's like, oh no, let's not, let's not look at fixing the brain. We don't want to talk about having a healthy brain because that's just, you're just depressed. Shut up and go cry. In a right. Here, take so, this, take this pill. It'll make you feel better. Yeah. 
And that's one thing too. A lot of the people that have committed suicide have been on some sort of antidepressants, which, you know, you see the commercials as 10 seconds of like, oh, take this pill, then it's 45 seconds to 50 seconds of this pill can cause all these lists of side effects. You know, oh, this antidepressant drug can cause su suicidal thoughts and tendencies. Like, why are we just <laughs> first going towards prescribing drugs? If you go to a farm or a, a psychiatrist, they don't even study the organ they're diagnosing them that much. They don't study the brain and how it operates as much. They're studying, okay, it's an emotional disorder. Well, what comes from the emotional disorder? Well, I don't know. Just take this, this drug and we'll adjust the dosage as needed. They're like, oh, okay. Thank you, yeah. I guess. Thank you, I guess. That's crazy. I have really enjoyed our conversation and I'm so thankful that you were able to come on earlier and were able to get this all kind of pushed out because I know that your services and the information that you offer regarding the financial side of things is going to come in so handy. So before we wrap up, where can people find you if they want more information on what you're doing in the financial side of things or if they want to follow up with you on your book? Yeah, so my book's on Amazon, Go F Yourself, Five Fundamentals to a Better Life. And then you can also go to the beardedfinancialpro.com. And that's my uh, main website where you can go to get all the financial help. And there's ways to reach out to me. And uh, you, know, you can find me on Facebook too at the same uh, handle. I think it's the real Bearded Financial. I don't know. Just search the Bearded Financial Pro on Instagram, on Facebook. I'll show up later. I'm a guy with a beard. So, <laughs> and we'll find those show those um, links and put them in the show notes as well. But before we wrap up, I would love to give everybody an opportunity to get to know you a little bit more through a quick random round. Are you okay with that? Yep, let's do that. All right. What profession other than your own do you think would be fun to attempt? I mean, I've done all the fun ones, which is the problem. I've been a cop in the military, been in the military, done firefighter, EMT. Um, another fun one. I don't know, skydiving instructor would be kind of cool to just to like shove people out of planes that are screaming <laughs> and crying. Uh, that would be one for sure. Yes, yes. Um, if you could time travel, where would you go and why? I'd probably, I would probably want to go about 100 years in the future to see how bad we've screwed things up and just so I can be like, yeah, uh, that's, that's great. Um, so yeah, probably what, 2120 is 100 years from now. So yeah, I'd probably go in the future to see how bad everything screwed up since I won't see it. Personality traits. Do you think you have a personality trait that has been most helpful to you in getting you through your life to where you are now? Yeah, for where I'm at now, it absolutely is. Like the person I am is very authentic, very straight up. I have a very fun life. I don't like boring. Um, so the, the person I am now took years and years of challenges and adversities to build me into the person I am. And the person I was, you know, five, 10 years ago is not the person I wanted to be and I wasn't happy so now where I'm at is I have fun in everything I do because uh, obviously if I write a book about it I should probably encompass that in my life um, so I focus on making sure that now the person I am now is the person that when I die I don't have any regrets looking back of saying oh I wish I would have been this more type of person I'm a loving person I am an asshole in some aspects that's just Aren't because yeah, I mean, but I'm honest about it. Like, hey, yes, I am an asshole, but I'm an ass. I'm an asshole in a very specific way. People may look at me as an asshole when I'm being very direct, but uh, if you don't like me being direct, you probably shouldn't hang out with me. Yeah, I can feel you on that one. Books, when you're reading them, do you prefer actually holding and reading them or listening yeah. to audiobooks? Um, so I I do both, but I'm a predominant book holder. I like reading them. 
when I'm doing my workouts, like outside, I will typically listen to an audiobook just because I, I gain, you know, statistically you gain more and, and absorb more information while you're working out. Um, so when I'm on my, my nightly walks outside, I listen to audiobooks. But behind me, obviously your readers aren't going to be able to see is I have a whole, you know, one of many bookshelves of libraries. Um, I buy a book. I buy more books than I do anything. Um, so I love having physical copy. I like taking notes in them. Um, when I read a book, I'm actively reading it. I don't just read it to say, oh, I read a book this week. I'm reading it to study it, to learn it, and to implement it in my life. I love it. And that's such an important distinction, too, because taking in all this knowledge, you said it earlier, taking in all this knowledge is useless if you're not going to implement it into your life. So that Correct. the moment I started actively reading books, because I would I would pump through books all the time and I'd take in some of it, but not a lot of it. Yeah. But and it was 75 hard when I started doing that where this idea of active reading came yep. in and I started treating each book that I read like I treated my law school exams. Like, yeah. let's go through this. Let's take notes. Let's expand on this. And it changes the book reading process. And I love yeah. it. Um, what book would you recommend the most to people if you were recommending a book? Third Circle Theory. It is by, uh, it just says Secret Entourage. I don't know. But if you go look up Third Circle Theory on Amazon, it's one of the best books I've ever read. And it pretty much tells you that every person is in three different circles. Most people live in the first and second one and where fulfillment and successes or whatever you want to call success is how to get into the third circle. So it breaks down each circle, shows you how, like where most people are at, how to get out of it and how to have a more fulfilled life. So that's one of the Love books it. I recommend most. I have so many notes out of it. Uh, it's one of the best ones I've ever read. I'm going to have to check that out. It sounds amazing. I'm a music nerd, so I always have to ask people, what's your pump-up song? What motivates you right now? Gets you out of bed. So that changes often because I love music. Yeah, I'm a, I am a music nerd as well. The song I've been on right now that I could literally put on repeat for is Keep Coming Back by Rob Billy and the Hustle Standard. Um, okay. It is by far one of the best songs to get you moving and get you off your ass to do shit. Love it. Yeah. I had to change my alarm clock to music because I'll sleep through an alarm clock oh, all yeah. day long, but I turn on my music and I'm out of bed. So yeah, perfect. And then my last question, I'm a huge believer in morning routines. Do you have one? And if so, what yes. does that look like? I believe that if you do not have a morning and evening routine, you're failing life. And I mean, it's just honestly, because you're starting your day off, at random you know if the first thing you do every morning is wake up and check your phone you're already putting yourself in such a shitty negative mindset because you have emails facebook notifications and you just instantly go into reaction mode and that's where most people will live in is constantly living in a reaction mode so um yeah my morning routine every morning is is very much the same uh, whether it's me it's my daughter whatever i'll get up uh, obviously do all my morning stuff, you know, brush my teeth, all that crap. But the first things I start jumping into is going to be into gratitude. I get into my gratitude journal that I have with me on my desk all the time that I'm like writing in every morning what I'm grateful for. And there's some mornings I wake up where I'm just like, oh man, I am not feeling it. And I literally will just be like, I'm grateful that I'm awake right now. And that's about it. Um, so the first couple things I'll do is, is right off the bat, write in my gratitude journal. Do you have to write X amount, like some people are like, oh, write three things you're grateful for. No, I don't. Um, I'll just write. Sometimes it's full pages of stuff I'm just grateful for. 
but writing in and having it physically in gratitude um, and putting something down of what you're grateful for every morning you start off with, you're already starting off on, on a, on a positive note and a positive foot. I also have affirmations every morning that I've already personally recorded through an app called think up. And it's the whole app and whole list of things that you can, uh, they have like thousands of affirmations you can have and you can just record them in your voice. Your brain hears your voice more than any other voice. So I have it playing for on a 30 minute loop while I'm doing my whole morning routine. It's hundreds of affirmations. So I'm constantly listening to these affirmations every morning and I, I'm constantly seeing my, it's again, it's all about programming. So I, I'm programming in my head and I'll be hearing it and thinking about it. And then I'll catch myself nodding my head and like agreeing to these <laughs> affirmations that I'm not even paying attention to them. So That's your awesome. brain's hearing them. So I do that while I'm writing my gratitude journal and um, I read out of a um, 365 days of positive self-talk. I'll read a, you know, cause it has a, positive self-talk note every day and then I read a chapter out of the scriptures or um, do some spiritual like praying or stuff like that um, and I don't necessarily like have a, a religion more or less I'm more of like connecting myself to a, a higher purpose of my uh, bigger myself so though and then I work out I get active first thing in the morning and I go to the gym and that's when I check my phone I haven't checked my phone at all for the first usually about hour um, the only thing I hop on is I check my phone real quick because uh, my girlfriend will text me in the morning. I'll text her real quick, but I don't check emails. It's still in do not disturb mode. You know, it's a, Hey, good morning. Have a good, have a good morning. Her and I both know that we kind of just, we got our own thing going on in the morning. We're getting our shit done. But when I'm on the stationary bike, I'm, I'm reading every morning. So getting active, having that routine is so important in the morning and how people establish it. Um, because if you don't, like I said, you're not going to have a good start to your day. Yeah, there is something huge to be said for starting your day off with a morning routine. And that one sounds amazing. Um, I have definitely appreciated our conversation. Thank you so much for taking the time to jump on with us. And I will definitely send people over to your social media for your webinars, because I think they're going to be immensely helpful to people as we start figuring out how we're going to recover from um, the economic downturn that is definitely going to be coming. Yeah, absolutely. I look forward to being able to help people. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the show. I hope that something that was said resonated with you or provided value to you in one way or another. I'd love to hear more about your thoughts on the show. You can reach out to me on Facebook or Instagram at Amber Furman. Also, I've created a Facebook community for followers of the show to interact with me and other members of the community. You can find that on Facebook at More Than Corporate. So go ahead and join that group if you'd like to stay up to date on podcast happenings and meet some really cool people. Again, thanks so much for tuning in.